Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, today we are in week, uh, I think, three of a series called Rebuild and Restore. I want you to know today that we serve a God who is in the rebuilding business and the restoring business. There's nothing that is too broken that he cannot rebuild. There's nothing that's so eroded that he cannot restore. I want to tell you this morning, whatever it is that you're facing in your life today is no match for Jesus. I want to say that again. Whatever you're facing today is no match for Jesus. He is, he is the expert at rebuilding and restoring the broken parts of our lives. And we are looking at, uh, we're just reading week to week through the book of Nehemiah. And I'm doing that, I'm preaching that way uh, this season because uh, several reasons. Number one, I just believe as the people of God, we be need to become more and more familiar with the Word of God. Uh, if there is something missing in the American church, uh, what is missing is the fact that we have become unfamiliar with the Word of God. And we need to become biblically fluent. So we're reading word for word. But secondly, uh, you may be wondering, well, well, why would I be interested in Nehemiah's story? Why would God inspire men to, you know, write what seems to be a diary of Nehemiah's life? And there's a couple of reasons, several reasons, but a couple that I'll point out to you. Number one is as you read the Word of God in, in the Old Testament, it is not just a history lesson only. It, it is actually expressing to you the heart of God towards His people. You're going to discover how jealous He is toward, for His people and the heart of God. And it's also an illustration of what God wants to do in you today. So the first week we talked about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a captive, a slave if you will. He had been uh, taken captive out of Jerusalem, his hometown, carried away 800-something miles to a foreign land where he was uh, employed in the secret service of the king. He was the cupbearer. He was the guy that would taste and see if what the king was about to drink was poisonous or not. And so uh, pretty close proximity to the king always had the king's ear. So even though he was a captive, he was, uh, he was still living a pretty cushy life. And all of a sudden he heard about the condition of, Jer of Jerusalem. He heard that the walls around the city had been torn down. He heard that basically the people of God who were still there, which was not very many, by the way, that even though they were there and they were living there, that because they had no walls around the city, that meant they were susceptible to any desire of their enemy. The enemies of God, the enemies of God's people could come in and steal from them, come in, rob from them. It's kind of like our enemy in John 10, 10, he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And the enemies of God's people could come in through those broken down walls and they could kill and they could steal and they destroy. And they did, by the way. They killed and destroyed from God's people over and over again. Nehemiah heard about that. And so we did what we talked about, or he did what we talked about last week. He took a step of faith and he asked the king at great risk to himself, can I go back and can I 
began to rebuild this wall. He didn't want God's people living in this broken down, being stolen from condition. And I want to tell you, in 2022, God does not want you living in a broken down, getting stolen from position all of your life. And friends, if you feel like your life is simply an episode of of some TV show where the same person gets robbed over and over and over again, it's time that you understand God wants better for you. He's called you to be a victor, not a victim. I know that sounds cliche, but that's the heart of God towards you. So Nehemiah asked the king, can I go back and rebuild? And the king graciously, who was not a God-fearing person, graciously granted his request, gave him everything he needed, material-wise, and then he gave him an entourage of soldiers to go with him and protect them. And then we picked up We pick up his story in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 11. He says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me. In other words, horses, donkeys, whatever they were riding. There was none of them except for the one I was riding on. I'm going to skip down to verse number uh, 17 for time's sake. It says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Can I tell you, the enemy, when when he attacks you, he usually tries to destroy. He doesn't just try to injure, he tries to destroy. So that you don't just have a season of being robbed from the day, but for the rest of your life you're susceptible to his attacks. And that's what Nehemiah sees. He says, these gates have been burned with fire. Then he says, come, let us rebuild the wall, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And also I told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Then chapter 3 of Nehemiah, we're going to read two more verses. It says that the high priest and the fellow priests went to work. They rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it, set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which was, they dedicated as far as the Tower of Nile. And the men of Jericho built the adjoining section. And Zakur, the son of Imara, built next to him. Father, I pray the next minutes of time, we understand that there's no task that's too hard for you. No challenge too big for you. There's nothing facing my life today that you cannot handle when I submit it to you. So I pray today that you just reach down and encourage every person. I pray that you'll strengthen them by your power and by your might, that they would sense the help of the Lord personally in their life. And we'll give you thanks. Everybody said amen. I just can't go forward without saying, Brother Doug, so good to see you in the Lord's house today. I know you've been through it. So glad to see you. God bless you. Miss Melanie, great to see you this morning. Been praying for you. We love you, and you are not alone. We we hold you in our hearts. God bless you. We love you. Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. Just imagine with me. If the presidential motorcade pulled into Cabot, and the guy that stepped out of the third limousine was neither Joe Biden nor Donald Trump or George W. or any of the guys we have seen step out of that car. 
But instead, the presidential motorcade shows up in Cabot, and it stays here for three days, and some nobody we never heard of keeps getting out of it. He's walking around with the Secret Service. Somebody somewhere would eventually ask, who is this guy? And what's he doing here? And for three days, Nehemiah doesn't tell anybody really who he is, and he doesn't tell anybody what he's doing there. He has shown up in appearance like a rock star. I mean, the, the king has sent this entourage of soldiers to guard him. And he shows up and he doesn't say anything for three days until finally one night he takes a midnight expedition. He goes out in the evening with just a few friends. And I believe what he's really doing is he's really walking around the city to see are things as bad as I was told they were. And they are. Matter of fact, they're, they're worse than he expected because he thought he would be able to ride his donkey a mile and a half around the city, and he's not able to do that. He, he thought he could ride around, but he's not, it's so bad he can't even complete the simple task of riding around the city. It's so much destruction. He has to get off his mount and get off his horse or whatever it is he's riding. He has to walk around, so it's worse than he's, he's expected. And he realized that he cannot do this on his own. And as we're talking about rebuilding and restoring, I want to tell you it's not something you can do on your own. If you want to see your marriage rebuilt or restored, you can't do it on your own. If you want to see a relationship rebuilt or restored, you can't do it on your own. If you want to see a ministry rebuilt or restored, a church rebuilt or restored, you can't do it on your own. As a matter of fact, anything that God challenges you to do, asks you to do, it always requires His help to complete what He's asked you to do. He doesn't, he doesn't call us, He doesn't commission us because of our great power. He commissions us because He's hoping that we will align ourselves with Him so that we can be channels of His great power. So Nehemiah walks around, he sees this is, this is a huge job. But he believes the guy that's been quiet for three days and not telling anyone why he's there, when he sees the destruction and how bad things really are, it's with this realization of how bad things really are that then he speaks to the people and says, with God's help, we can do this. I'm really just preaching a message this morning, answering the question that what do I do when the task seems too big? What do I do when the challenge in front of me seems greater than I am? What do I do when the step of faith that God is asking me to take seems too scary for me to take, seems too big for me to trust Him with, seems too unknown for me to follow Him? What do I do when what is before me is bigger than any problem I've ever had in my past? What do I do then? That's the question Nehemiah had to answer as he walked around those broken down walls that night. There are several things he teaches us. Number one, when, it's, when life seems bigger than you are, you can't be paralyzed by what's wrong. Nehemiah had moved from one gate to another gate. And the more he saw, the worse he got. 
He started off riding a horse. Eventually, it got so bad he couldn't even lead his horse through there. The, the debris, the rubble was so piled up. So much of it was there. This was not a task for a Saturday church workday. This is a big deal. And here's the thing. Sometimes when you've lost so much, I know I'm talking to some people, some of you today, you know what it's like to lose things. Lose hopes, lose dreams, lose people, lose finances, lose jobs, lose families. And here's the thing. When you get to the place where you've lost so much, it's really easy to believe that the rubble around me is so so vast, it's so much, it's so big that there's no way forward. There's nothing I can do about it. I mean, Jer- uh, Nehemiah was walking around. The rubble he sees is not fresh rubble. It's been laying there for decades and for decades. No one has been able to fix it. And as he walks around the wall that night, he realizes not only is no one even fixing it, no one's even trying. And that's what happens. Sometimes the rubble of our life seems so bad that we don't even try to fix it. That's what Nehemiah is seeing. There's people that have been living there for decades, and no one's trying to fix what is wrong. All of us have been there. Sometimes our, our, our walls come down because we've lost people or because of a diagnosis or because of a failure of a person or because of financials. We've all been there. We've all had a moment or two where circumstances paralyze us. I'll never forget one year, um, this has been a minute ago, Megan and I were youth pastoring back in our youth pastoring days. We took a van load of kids to New Orleans just several months after Hurricane Katrina hit. And the particular neighborhood where we were serving, the water had gotten so tall that it was in people's attics of their home. Matter of fact, across the street from the house we were working on, there was a security van sitting on top of the roof because the waves had washed the van and set it on top of the roof. And we were there. There was a single mom with two young kids. And the only way her house could ever be rebuilt, the insurance had paid for her, her house would be rebuilt, but it wouldn't pay for it to be gutted. It wouldn't pay for all the old stuff to get out. So we had showed up that week, me and these teenagers, to try to, to try to clean out the inside of this house. All we had to do was get it from the inside to the curb, and they'd come pick it up, and then their house could be rebuilt. And I'll never forget, I opened up that door. It was, it was hot. It was like this time of year and humid. I mean, you just step out, and you just sweat. And we had these hazmat suits on with, with mask-breathing things on. I mean, we looked like we were, we were like you know, handling deadly stuff, because I think we were handling deadly stuff. And we opened that front door, and how many of you know when your house floods, it, stuff doesn't stay put, right? There were mattresses that were supposed to be in this room that were in that room, and, and not only that, stuff had floated out of the neighbor's house into your house. It was, you just opened it up, and it was just, it didn't look like someone left their house there. It looked like someone went through and turned over everything, and just mold and just it was horrible and I stood there and I looked inside it was probably only 30 seconds but it seemed like five minutes and I was just thinking oh my lord where do we start I mean you look down this way it's destruction you look that way it's destruction and we're looking at this house that we're supposed to be cleaning out and tearing down to the studs and it's it was a mess and I didn't even know where to start and finally some kid 
ran past me and said, Pastor, I guess we start at the beginning. You know, he starts throwing stuff out. But I'm just asking, have you ever, has life ever been so overwhelming you were just paralyzed by it? That's where Nehemiah was. And I just want to challenge you to remember in those moments you have a, that, that you no know mess in your life is too big for God. First Peter reminds us that after we've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. There's nothing in your life that you're facing today that God cannot restore, that God cannot rebuild, that God cannot strengthen, and God cannot establish you even in the middle of what seems to be a mess. So no matter how much destruction there is around you, the promise of God in you is always greater. Number two, what do I do when life seems bigger than I am? Number two, you've got to prioritize the presence of God. I've got a picture of Jerusalem, if you guys can throw that on the screen. This is, the, uh, this is a picture of the wall in Nehemiah's time, or actually the whole city in Nehemiah's time. And you can see at the very top, the sheep gate, that's where they began rebuilding and they worked their way around the city in a counterclockwise um, manner. And, and I began to wonder why is it that, why start at the sheep gate? I mean, what so, spe- why not, you know, if I live in Jerusalem, I say, hey, why not come start at my house? Let's start where I live. Let's start in my neighborhood. But uh, the sheep gate was called the sheep gate because guess what came through the gate most? Yeah, sheep. And they weren't just sheep to shear and have nice, uh, you know, jackets or whatever. They were sheep that were used in the temple. As a matter of fact, everything around the sheep gate area, you can see the temple's pretty close to there, that's where, all, that's where all the priests lived. And that was the area that was used for worship. And Ezra had already showed up, and he'd already rebuilt the temple. But, but Nehemiah shows up, and he says, you know what? The first thing we're going to do is we're going to make sure that the path to worship is wide open. We're going to make sure that all the sacrifice can be brought into the presence of God, and that anyone that wants to worship, they can come, and they can worship with safety. They can worship God. They can sacrifice to Him. Let's make sure the presence of God has a clean path. And friends, if you feel like the world is crumbling on top of you, I don't care what you got to do, but you've got to prioritize the presence of God in your life. Some of you say, well, it sounds like a good idea. No, 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 no. It is not enough to repair the peripheral and the natural if you're not making a way for the supernatural power of God in your life. There are certain messes in your life. Matter of fact, most of the messes in your life, we try to fix it ourselves. Friends, if you could fix your life yourself, then Jesus wouldn't have came to earth. He wouldn't have given his life on a cross and rose on the third day. The reason he did all that was that you could have restoration and rebuilding that's beyond yourself. So he rebuilt and he restored what would walk on the presence of God. Listen, if you want to be restored today, we gotta, we got to take care and rebuild the stage for spiritual activity in our life. Making room for church is a good step. Making room for God in your heart is a better step. 
They rebuilt the entrance of sacrifice and worship to God. Psalms 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, forget not all of his benefits. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit, and he crowns me with love and compassion. The psalmist understood that the secret to having my life restored is not what I can do, but it depends on my ability to open my life to the presence of God. Third, this afternoon, or this morning, third way we respond when life seems bigger than us is we have to partner in the work of God. Look at verse number five. It says the next section, right? They repaired the sheep gate. People are now getting on board. They're starting to work. The Bible says the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. I've got several things I want to say about this. Number one, God never calls us to work ahead of Him or apart from Him. He always calls us to work with Him. And God bringing restoration, I said this a little bit last week, but God bringing restoration and rebuilding our life is not a spectator sport. It's not that we just sit back and see what He's going to do only, but we see what He's going to do, but we also partner with what He is doing in our lives. And, and, and as you read a lot of chapter 3, if you read chapter 3 this week, getting ready for this morning, uh, you, you could see, you could read that and you can think, okay, well, it tells me about this person working and this person working and this person worked over here and this person worked over there and they were helping each other. And you could, you could just kind of read about well, well, what is so significant that all these people joined in and that they were all helping. Well, there's one thing that maybe it'll translate to us today is this, is that God can use you despite your experience. You may be thinking, I don't have the skill set to do anything for God. But can I tell you, you have what it takes to be used by God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul spoke to the church at Corinth and he says, hey, why don't you think about what you were when you first started? Not many of you were noble, not many of you were wise by human standards, but God has chosen the lowly things and the foolish things of the earth to confound the wise. I'm going to tell you today that you have exactly what it takes to be used by God. You have exactly what it takes to see God coming in your home and your family and rebuild and restore and change the testimony and the trajectory of your family for eternity. You don't have to wait on someone else or something else. God can use you right now to change your life. You have what it takes to be used by God. You can read on down through chapter 3. And it, and it brings out the one, of the one of the areas says that even the perfumers. Now most, I don't know how to say this. But if you're a perfumer, that doesn't correlate to a guy who wears a hard hat and a wall builder, right? They kind of seem like two different types of guys. But God even used perform, uh, perfumers to rebuild the wall. I'm just telling you, God can use you to rebuild the walls in your families. Number two, second thing this scripture tells us is that God points out those who would not participate. You ever said the phrase, well, I'm going to start taking names. Did you know God takes names? And God doesn't just take names and keep them to himself. 
God instructed the writer to write down who helped and who didn't help. How would you like to have been one of those nobles who came across the, the scroll 10 years later and pointed out, well, you know, this guy right here, he didn't even put his shoulder to the work. Do you know what? Right now, God is watching who's working and who's not working. God's looking and sees who's, who's pushing forward the kingdom of God and who's just watching the kingdom of God go forward. Which leads me to this conclusion. I can't let what other people are doing discourage me from doing what God's called me to do. The nobles should have been the example, example setters. But instead, they just became spectators. They wouldn't put their hands to the plow. They wouldn't put their shoulders to the work. But instead of being discouraged by that, those common people around the scene, they say, you know what, just because they're not working doesn't mean we're not going to work. And just because they're not going to participate in what God is calling us to do, I'm going to participate anyway. I would just say it this way. Let's commit ourselves to do what God has called us to do, no matter if we have one person with us or no one with us or a crowd with us. Let's commit that, God, I want to see what you're going to rebuild and I want to see what you're going to restore. So I'm going to follow you, even if I follow you alone, even if I follow you and it's unpopular. Friends, we better get used to in 2022, the idea that following Jesus is not popular and be willing to follow him anyway. The nobles, the well-to-dos said, I ain't doing nothing. That's the Arkansas vernacular. They said, we're not, we're not going to do this. But some said, we're going to do it no matter if we do it alone. Because, here's, here's what else that teaches us, is that God has a specific task for you to complete. Did you know, Dylan, did you know that God has specific things for you to complete? Todd, there are certain things that God has for you to complete. Trevor, there are certain things that, there are people that will only be touched if you touch them. There are hands that will only be held if you hold them. There are prayers that will only be prayed if you pray them. There are people that will only hear the gospel if they hear it through your lips or they witness it through the life that you lead. God has specific tasks. That's why Jeremiah chapter 1, I believe it says that, but that I knew you before you were born. In your mother's womb, I knew you and I ordained you to be a prophet of the nations. God has purposes for us. He has a plan for us. And here's the fourth thing this morning. I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, there's not a fourth. There's not a fourth number on my. There's not a fourth number on my card. Well, there is on mine. So, <laughs> me, if you want to come, here we go. The task before you is no competition for God. Nehemiah took a midnight walk around the city. It was worse than he thought. He thought, I'll ride my horse around this city. No way. It's worse than you thought. You can't make it around this place with a horse. But instead of being discouraged, he rallied the troops and said, come on. With God's help, we can do this. He discovered that there was nothing before him that was too hard for God. 
you know, I'm getting excited because in a few weeks, football season starts. Right? I love watching football. I don't even care if I know the teams. Like, I'll turn it on and, and it'll be this team versus that team and I'll have to Google, where are they from? You know, like, uh, I've never even heard of them. But I, every time I turn on, I watch some game that I've never heard of. <coughs> what I always do is I always look up and see who's supposed to win this game. And then I, when I figure out who's supposed to win it, I cheer for the other team. Because I just love cheering for the underdogs. Maybe it's because I'm an Arkansas fan and we're always the underdog. I don't know, but I just love, I just, I just love cheering for underdogs. I feel like my whole life I've been cheering for, anyway. Sometimes we read the Word of God and we feel like that God's people are always the underdog. If you take David versus Goliath. Doesn't it seem like David's the underdog? Joseph, the young kid being sold into slavery, forgotten about, lied about, put in prison, seems like the underdog. Nehemiah, job, rebuild a wall that's been demolished for decades with just zero expectation, I'm sorry, zero experience. Seems like he's an underdog. But one thing that Nehemiah is teaching me personally is this, that Nehemiah was not the underdog. David was not the underdog because God has never lost a battle. He's never been overcome. The Word says, who is like the Lord? There's none beside Him. There's no other God who can stand before our God. So friends, when you stand with Him, you're, you're never the underdog. You're the one who is hopelessly bound to succeed. Our issues, our impossibilities are no match for God. The New Testament says it like this, greater is He that's in you than the one that's in the world. And I want to ask you about your heads this morning. You say, Pastor, I feel like I feel like I'm the underdog. I feel like I'm outnumbered, I'm outmatched, I'm out-equipped. I feel like that everything says that I'm not going to make it. But I want to tell you, with God, you can make it. The God who is with you is greater than the opposition that is before you. You are not outnumbered or outmatched or outstrength or outgunned. Not when God is on your side. Not when you're moving according to His Word. Not when you have Him as your help and your hope. But you say this morning, Pastor, the task seems too big. The problem seems too big. I feel outnumbered. I feel like I am unmatched. If that's you today, I just want another pray for you. I'm not going to call you forward this morning. I just want another pray for you before you leave this place today. If that's you, would you just lift a hand real quick? That's me, Pastor. Pray for me. Pray for me. Amen. 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 Doesn't matter if you have to work. I love it when we get to work with people. But even if you have to work alone, do the work. Make room for the worship, for the for the presence of God. Rebuild that altar. Rebuild a time in your day to make room for the presence of God to fill you. 
That's your strength. Today, if you lifted your hand, I want to pray for you before you go. Father, we are not without hope. And we are not without help. And we are not without strength. Because you are our help. And you are the hope we have. And you are the strength we have for every moment of our life. And God, there are moments when we feel like we are the underdogs. There are moments when we feel like we are outnumbered and we are outgunned. But Father, with you, the impossible becomes possible. The unbearable becomes bearable. And though we're pressed, we're not crushed. Though we're persecuted, we're not abandoned. Because though the world may feel like it's pressing in on us, the life of our God keeps renewing in us a strength beyond our own strength. And I pray that over every person lifted a hand today, that though it may feel like they're dying, I pray the life of Christ would just dwell up in them over and over again. And you'd give them springs of fresh life to take into their spirit this morning. It's the springs of your spirit, the freshness of your spirit, the power of your spirit today. So, God, I pray that over every person. I declare that they are going to be an overcomer, that they are going to be successful in what they're doing for you. And, God, I also pray if there's someone who, like these nobles, has been standing back when you've been calling us forward, God, I pray they'll put their shoulder to the work. I pray they'll respond to what they put in your heart. I pray that what is written about them will change. Because they have decided to be a participator in the kingdom of God. Whether that is choosing to follow you for the first time, or whether that is choosing to follow you through a ministry call, or just a direction, a holy ought we talked about the first week. I pray that they'll just be right now notated as people who chose to participate in the work of God. And we'll give you thanks for that. And Father, as you brought victory to Nehemiah, Lord, bring victory to your people today. Do in us and do, what, do through us what others thought was impossible. And we'll give you thanks for it in Jesus' mighty name. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for his word today? We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Now listen, next, next Sunday, you're not going to believe this, but Nehemiah... Nehemiah tried to do something for God and not everyone celebrated. Nehemiah tried to take a step of faith and instead of people, everyone clapping their hands, there were some people that dealt him blows of opposition. Next Sunday morning, we're going to talk about how to deal with the opposition of the enemy. And so I want you to be back for it. God's going to do great things. Lord, bless the people today. Lord, bless them and keep them. Let your face shine upon them. Give them strength and joy, both now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day and God bless.